welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello all and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast and today on episode 42, I'm going to be trying something a little bit different and on a week-to-week basis, I get emails regarding the latest fitness trends, I often get questions from my clients about these fitness trends and topics that are coming up, do I think they're worth buying into, do I think that they're going to last, what's the efficacy of some of these products and approaches, etc. And I'm a guy who loves the basics. I do think the tried and tested done over a consistent and lengthy period of time will almost guarantee you results. On the other hand, I'm an extremely open-minded person as well and believe that if something works and it's potentially getting people healthier and better shape, they're making them happier about their fitness journey, then I'm all for it, even if it does seem a little bit gimmicky at first glance. And I've seen a lot of things come and go over the past decade or so that I've been training and being a trainer myself. I was actually trying to do my best to remember when I first went into a gym and I'm pretty sure it was between the years of maybe 2007, 8 or 9, something along those lines. And then I became a personal trainer in 2012. So it's safe to say I've been around for a little bit of a while and I've seen quite a lot of things come and go. So what I'm going to do in this episode, which may be a bi-weekly or monthly edition, depending on how much you guys enjoy it and also how much there is actually to dive into in these fitness topics and trends, I'm essentially going to give you my take. But as always, I want to make it simple. I want to make it actionable and I'll do my best to take five to 10 topics, maybe products or moves by certain brands and briefly discuss the topic around, you know, where the headline this is. I'll give you my initial thoughts. I'll explore multiple different facets of the topic, the product, the move, whatever it is, and ultimately give you my take on whether I think it's a good move for the company or brand or something that I just think is straight up ridiculous. So I'm going to do my best not to sit on the fence here and be as raw with my opinion as I possibly can be. And before we do begin, I do have to state this. It is just my opinion. So you may not agree with everything that I say, but that's totally fine. Hopefully you guys have come to realize that I'm fairly level-headed and the mission of these specific episodes and the podcast in general is just to help you with your health and fitness journey. And with these specific episodes, it's to help you navigate the ever-changing industry so that we can positively contribute any of these trends that come in or these products that come in towards your health and fitness journey. So that is the goal of this. So always remember that even if you don't necessarily agree with my opinion, which you might not (laughs) always do. So I'm excited and let's get into this. And we're going to start with a bang and I really have to question why I do this to myself, but let's do it anyway. So the first headline, and first of all, I do want to give a big shout out to Well2Do Global. I have sourced a lot of the articles from their website and I'll do my best to put all the articles in the show notes as well. So the headline for this first one is consumers want vaccine required classes. And this comes from reports from ClassPass who are a bit of a giant. And to give you some context, ClassPass, if you haven't heard of them, are essentially a subscription service where you get a certain amount of credits, depending on the membership you choose, where you can book in-studio or at-home fitness classes or book services at salons and spas, etc. And the big selling point for ClassPass 
here is that consumers are not being tied into any contract or commitment like they usually would with a fitness studio or a gym. There's a variety of different classes you can go for and the ease of booking through one app versus visiting multiple websites like you would if you did want to go for a variety of different classes is an absolute winner. And they are a giant. Their most recent valuation saw them valued at $1 billion. And the reason I want to give you this context and just to you know, go into this, I'm not affiliated or tied to any of these brands whatsoever. I just want to give you the context so you understand the magnitude of the company. And therefore, if someone of their stature and size is discussing something like this, this is where the moves start to begin in the industry, right? One big company leads the way and the rest tend to follow. So there's a good possibility of this happening. And I want to take the key stats from their findings, which was that 69% of US ClassPass members would prefer returning to classes that require you to have a vaccination. And then 18% only plan to return to studios when there's vaccination requirements in place. And then based on my further reading, you know, ClassPass is still growing rapidly despite the pandemic. However, like a lot of the studios that they're going to be working with, they rely on, you know, people being in the office, going before work, going after work, going in the middle of the day on their lunch break, right? And living in London for four years or however long I was there for and being there during the pandemic too, I can totally understand this and see why, you know, this could be a potential option for the decision makers at ClassPass to make, right? They want those studios to survive. And, you know, a lot of, like we said, that traffic is coming from people going into work. So if they do opt to get 18% of their people back just by putting vaccinations in place, that's, you know, a significant amount of revenue that they can make. So I can see why these topics are going to be super interesting to discuss, but also slightly controversial. So I'm going to go into the vaccination thoughts right now. So Bear with me. So I have to start by saying I'm not anti-vaccine or pro-vaccine at all. I believe that everyone has a right to make their own choice. And with that being said, I'm not a big fan of this segregation of those who are vaccinated and those who are not. I appreciate that life getting back on track is incredibly important. However, it just doesn't sit well with me personally that those who choose not to have a vaccine will start to have a tougher time with going to fitness classes, attending live music events, traveling, etc. I think the main reason reason behind this is even if you create like a vaccine required classes, like the person sitting next to you on the tube might not be vaccinated. The person in the queue behind you in the supermarket or the coffee shop might not be vaccinated. Your friends and family might not be vaccinated. And if you're telling me that you're not ever going to see a certain friend or family member ever again, if they choose not to be vaccinated. And alongside that, if you're also going to tell me that you're never going to sit next to a random person on a train or plane again, it's highly, highly unlikely. And also, if you're already vaccinated yourself, the efficacy of the top few vaccines is between 85 to 95% based on the research I did. And yes, it's not 100, but that puts you in a pretty good position to hopefully not contract the virus, which globally, you know, if we're looking at this at the time I'm recording, is declining. So for me personally, I don't believe this would be a good move for ClassPass to make. I don't like the idea of segregation based on choice of whether you take a vaccination or not especially as there's no law that necessarily suggests that anyone should. I think segregation, whether it's between races, genders, whatever it is, is just a bad idea. So we shouldn't be implementing this just based on something as simple as a vaccine and a choice made between whether you should have it or not. And especially when it comes to something that's actually going to keep people healthy, reducing the accessibility for anyone to exercise is just not a good idea in my eyes. So let me try and come up with a viable solution. I mean, continuing social distancing practices, good hygiene standards within these studios is always going to be the first place to start. I think even if there wasn't a virus 
present, that is just a very good idea. Continuing to take people's temperatures and, you know, monitoring people who have potentially been in contact with those who have had COVID is probably a good idea for the time being. And it's probably worth us doing this for as long as we need to. Maybe you can create one to two classes a day for vaccinated people. I still don't think it's a great idea, but at least those who are really on the side of wanting this option would have it. And, you know, of course, this wouldn't be the majority of the classes, but I don't think that that's going to be the right way to go considering in in hopefully a couple of years time, we will be done with this virus. And whether you are vaccinated or not, it would have hit a point in which we're not worrying about this on a day-to-day basis. So that is one interesting first topic to start with. And just to summarize, I don't necessarily think it's a good idea. I think that we should find an alternative solution. And I just don't think we should be segregating people or reducing the accessibility to health and fitness classes. So on to the next, and I am just coming at you with some of these (laughs) contracts. Controversial one. So, sex product startup Maud surpasses $10 million in funding. Maud describes himself as a modern sexual wellness brand created to simplify sex with body safe essentials like vibrators, condoms, lubricants, and other personal care goods. So, I did some research as A, I didn't know anything like this existed, and B, I was intrigued as to why this particular brand was getting a strong amount of funding. And my apologies if I've mispronounced the brand name. I think it's Maud, M A U D E. If I'm honest, I 110% get why the concept of this is getting funding as I feel anything that tackles taboo subjects in an authentic way with a good product and mission is definitely onto a winner. It is kind of ridiculous to agree that we're in 2021 and the conversation around products that Maud provides is still very rare. And if they are had, they're whispered or they're in intimate conversations between friends who don't want to be overheard. And I get that it might not be the thing that you want to shout and scream about, but let's take contraception, for example, which I have a study for. In fact, I did my research here, guys. So I was looking at a graph on this study and it said figure one presents the prevalence of condom use at last sexual intercourse among women and men aged 15 to 44 who had sexual intercourse in the past 12 months. The percentages for women aged 15 to 44 were similar in 2002, 23.4%, and 2006 to 2010 was 25.3%, and in 2011 to 2015 was 23.8%. Although for men across those same timelines was 29.5%, up into 33.1% in 2002 and 33.7% between 2011 and 2015. So if this many people are just using condoms alone, let alone all of the other products that Maud provides, why is this topic still taboo? So back to the brand Maud, and after looking at their website, I was honestly very, very impressed. Like genuinely I was. For products that are frowned upon and don't seem you know, necessarily classy, etc., I think their products, branding, positioning is incredibly sleek and clean actually. And I know a lot of people like may feel a sense of shame around utilizing products like this. And I absolutely love how they position themselves because it completely removes any sense of that whatsoever in my eyes. If you got a package like this in the post, you'd think you were picking up like a high-end product, nothing that you should feel embarrassed about, or, you know, as to say it gets delivered to a neighbor by accident, you wouldn't have any shame with picking this up because they made it look so clean and sleek. And the quality of these products looks superb. And not only that, the pricing is incredibly fair and accessible too. So I really personally believe that the execution from Maud on this is incredible. Their website is full of education and blogs about dating, the history of condom, 
alarms, aphrodisiacs. And once again, if you were on this website in a coffee shop or in the office, you wouldn't fear that someone's looking over your shoulder. There's nothing sleazy or taboo about it at all. So I want to give big props to Maud here. I think the fact they're getting the funding to continue to grow their brand is a great move. And I appreciate they're taking on an industry with so much taboo and could be looked at as dirty and not classy. And they have made it very, very sleek, clean, and sophisticated. Muy bien. All right, on to the next topic, which is onto the sporting goods giant, who we all know, Nike. Let me start by giving you a snippet from morningbrew.com's article. Nike's Q4 earnings sprinted past estimates last week with no signs of slowing down. The athletic wear giant is expecting revenue to surpass 50 billion in 2022 and seems to have landed on the winning strategy. Nike is exercising a focus on consumer loyalty with its membership model. 300 million Nike members worldwide helped fuel the record 3 billion in online sales during this quarter. So that's a lot of money. It's almost unfathomable in a way. So do I think that a company like Nike, who has the ability to generate a revenue of beyond $50 billion is a good thing? And I'm going to give you a sporting analogy to help illustrate my point here. So I want to ask you guys, have a think about this now as you're listening. If you were watching any sporting event, whether it be football or soccer, if you're American, tennis, Formula One, basketball, whatever it might be, and it came to the final game or event, and this game or event was to determine the winner. You know, you had two opponents, one who was prolific. Maybe it's the Cristiano Ronaldo's of the world who's playing with Real Madrid. Maybe it's Serena Williams or Roger Federer in another Grand Slam final. Maybe it's LeBron James in the NBA final. And the other opponent is one you didn't expect to get there. It's Iceland making their way into uncharted territory in Euro 2016, where they beat England and got into the semifinals. It's the unknown rookie progressing through the tennis tournament that no one was expecting much of. Answer this question as you're listening. Are you supporting the person who's prolific and wins all the time? Or are you supporting the underdog? I think most people, and make your decision now, I'm going to give you three seconds. I think that most would support the underdog, especially if you're neutral and you don't necessarily support either you know, team or opponent. Personally, I'm not sure about how many people are going to agree with me here, but I'm always supporting the one who's winning. I love watching people and teams that are prolific. I love seeing people that perform time and time again. I want Roger Federer to win every time he steps on the court. I want Ronaldo to continue scoring the most goals in whatever league he is. I like watching excellence. To sustain your level of desire to stay at the top, and not only your desire, but to perform at the highest level year after year after year, that's what I want to see. Just think about the margins of improvements that these guys are looking at. They're absolutely at the top of their game. And they're not even looking at like 1% improvements at these stages. They're looking at like 0. Point something improvements. And it's nice to see, you know, someone else win from time to time. I get that. But I do believe it's easier to be the contender versus the one who's expected to win. If you're playing against Federer or Serena Williams in the final and you're not in the top 10 rankings, realistically, no one's really expecting you to win. The pressure is off. Whereas if you're Federer or Williams, you're not only expected to win, you're expected to dominate. And I think we see this level of excellence and forget that like what's actually required, not only to obtain it, but also sustain it for year 
years after years for season after season. So that was a long analogy, but it is leading me into why I'm more than happy to see Nike continue to thrive. I've honestly always been a fan of Nike. They create great products. They're constantly innovating. Their campaigns and athletes are always incredibly impressive. I love the fact that their advertising is never about what their products actually do, but they're represented by athletes who they endorse. And, and you just have to admire how a company of that magnitude even operates. It would be fascinating to see how far in advance they're thinking about products, campaigns, how they manage all of their operations globally. Like it is really, really just hard to even comprehend at times. So in this article, they were also noting that they're focusing more on the quality of their wholesale partners and cut quite a few of them over the past year to ensure that they're only being represented by companies and partners who represent the brand in the way that they want to be represented. And imagine being a brand who's just about to generate 50 billion and was founded in 1964 and is still protecting the image of their brand so aggressively in 2021. Imagine how much the world has changed since then and how much they would have had to keep up with the ever-changing landscape and make sure that they continue to thrive, continue to innovate, protect their image. And I see why they're going to be placing an increased focus on brand loyalty. I think it makes sense. I think all age groups wear Nike, right? To be honest, you've seen someone as little as a newborn baby up until your grandfather or grandmother who wears it, right? But I assume the primary but I'd assume that their primary customers are probably at the age of like, you know, 15 to 40, the younger generation. And do you find that the younger generation these days, they are more interested in their brand's values. They're not just about the product it creates anymore. They want to be seen as a consumer who cares, you know, where that material is being sourced from, why they matter to that specific brand. And if you start focusing on your customer at 15, you have a solid 25 years of them buying into your products buying products for their children. And then that brand becomes generational, right? I personally feel that this is an awesome move for Nike to make. Not that I feel they need my opinion, but even today when there are more brands trying to compete for the market share, I still see them as the dominant leaders in that field. And I am all for them continuing to have plenty of success. And onto the fourth topic of the day, which involves Peloton and their changes to its safety precautions, obviously following an extremely tragic incident that they had a little while back. From my understanding, understanding, Peloton had a just run feature where you'd essentially just use the treadmill as a treadmill. It didn't require their subscription, which tends to be needed for the majority of their products. However, they have since disabled this feature due to it being a software that they own and control to essentially implement this safety feature, which leaves Peloton users only being able to use their treadmill if they have the $39 membership, AKA your treadmill has basically become a nice ornament in your home unless you pay for the subscription. So Peloton have since waived their membership fee for the next three months whilst they resolve the issue, which I think is fair, but it's got people thinking about the wider implications of having a product like this. Like it's quite unusual to think that you pay X amount, like probably three to $4,000 or whatever Peloton costs these days. And even though you have paid all that money, it can just stop working because they have taken away a piece of software. Like imagine the MacBook that's in front of me right now, I've spent thousands of pounds on and Apple all of a sudden introduced some software, which means I have to pay 30 pounds a month. Otherwise my Mac is just a nice piece of metal and plastic sitting in front of me, right? That would suck. And although some might say that they already do that on a smaller scale by changing the ports and their headphone jacks, et cetera, but that's another story for another day. We won't go down that uh, avenue right now, but I'd like to think that it wasn't an intentional move by Peloton 
on, it suggested that only 20% of their revenue comes from subscriptions. And for a company of this magnitude, I just don't think it's worth creating so much animosity within their customers for something that just generates 20% of their revenue. What I do think was naive, on the other hand, is the fact that they surely knew that this was going to happen and that there would be a select group of people who would kick off. And you know, to be honest, these people usually tend to be the loudest. And rather than allowing that to happen, they should have just offered the free subscription in the first place whilst announcing that they were just, you know, they were going to disable that just run feature. That was probably the wiser move. And I appreciate that's easy to say in hindsight, but what it does remind me of is when Google actually went down in early December 2020. And those who had, you know, the Google Home, which maybe controlled the lights in their home and in their child's nursery potentially, they started kicking off because of the course, you know, until Google actually fixed that issue. And I think it was only like 30 minutes in the end, their lights didn't in their home didn't work. And it does start making the consumers think about the implication and the unseen control that certain companies have of our lives. But this is the reality of the modern world. And just like your electricity might cut out and your electricity company has the ability to you know, stop your electricity supply, the same kind of goes for these other brands as well. And I think it's just the case of accepting the modern world that we live in, and quite rightly so, addressing an issue if one arises, such as not being able to use your treadmill without subscription, etc. So bad move on Peloton's part, in my eyes, for just not automatically giving away their subscription. But I have no doubt they'll come up with a viable solution. You know, Perhaps everyone will now get a basic solution subscription that includes the minimal amount of programs. And then the existing $30 or whatever it is a month membership adds more features and becomes the premium version. But realistically, they should have just led with that move. You know, they could have come from a giving place and then they probably would have avoided all of this animosity. So on to the fifth and final latest topic slash trend, which is really interesting, actually. So if you stayed until this point of the podcast, you are not going to regret it. So Eat Just, that is the name of the brand. Malls, funny use of word, 3 billion IPO to eventually make cruelty-free food mainstream. So if you're anything like me, you're thinking, uh, who are Eat Just? Are they just another plant-based alternative brand? And at this moment in time, they're most well-known for creating an egg alternative made out of mung beans. The website looks pretty impressive and the product seems to be doing pretty well. I think it is doing pretty well in the US. However, what they're looking into next is to release cultured meat. And forgive me if I'm late to the party here, as apparently the first cultured meat patty was created in 2013, but this was news to me. And if I'm honest, it took me a good 30 minutes of research to even get my head around this. So essentially, instead of the traditional way of sourcing meat by killing the animal, taking the edible portion, they're taking cells from the animal through a small biopsy, feeding the cell, much like you'd feed a chicken, for example, and it becomes edible meat. I'm not sure about you guys, but this is blowing my mind. How did I not know? And how, like, if you're listening now, how did we not know about this? So I've taken a segment from their their FAQ so I can explain this a little bit further. And just to reiterate, it's not just Eat Just, that's the name, the brand name. And then they have a product of the eggs and they're kind of moving into this another brand name called Good Meat or something along those lines. On their website, it said, we begin by sourcing a small amount of animal cells from high quality poultry or livestock. We then feed those cells nutrients, including amino acids, carbohydrates, minerals, fats, and vitamins, the same type of nutrients that an animal would need to grow and multiply these nutrients grow the cells into meat. The entire process takes place in a safe and controlled environment, much like a beer brewery. Instead of growing the entire animal, we grow just what is typically consumed, the edible portion. This means that we use fewer resources to grow the meat 
and we can be more efficient, completing growth in weeks rather than months or years, then the harvested product can be used by chefs in multiple final formats, from less structured crispy chicken bites, savory chorizo and sausages, to more textured products such as grilled chicken breast, whatever, that part's not important. But that is fascinating. It almost seems too good to be true. However, it's now being improved by the Singapore Food Agency. I think it was in December 2020 it got approved. And they're now selling chicken nuggets. And by the sounds of it, the plan across 2021, 20, 2022 is to get this mainstream, is to make this the new thing that we consume instead of the traditional way of killing the animal, taking what's edible. We're now going to be eating cultured meat. And this is just fascinating to me. And I assume there's a long way to go. But if I was a vegetarian or vegan right now who gave up meat for the fact that I didn't want to eat something that was being killed, like which in, you know, which I think is quite a lot of the vegetarians and vegans out there, I'd be jumping for joy. But I do also have a lot of questions like, will it be accepted by the vegan slash vegetarian community? As of course it's still meat. How many live chickens or cows or whatever animal you're going to use, do you need to extract the amount of cells that you need to grow the meat? That sounds really weird to say grow the meat i read on the website actually that the amount of meat that can be created from a cell line is supposedly unlimited so then that begs the question what does that mean for the existing meat industry how do we go from where we are now with the amount of animals that are bred and do we go by you know just reducing this to make way for the new meat line like there's so many questions like what does it do to the plant-based food industry like if meat is back on the menu does the plant-based industry die down or does it just continue to explode just like it would be like i said a lot of vegans and vegetarians i'm sure are going to be considering their approach if this is completely ethical and it doesn't involve any slaughtering or killing of animals why would they continue not to eat meat right so time will tell on this one but whoever came up with this is an absolute genius in my eyes and although it does sound weird the ceo of the company made a very good point and the quote taken from the article where he said what often seems bizarre at first blush becomes normalized later on he said if i told you in 2002 that the majority of songs wouldn't be bought but they would be streamed that would sound weird and he's got a good point there right so if you are a vegetarian or vegan at the moment i'd love to get your thoughts on cultured meat to reiterate no animals are harmed or slaughtered the manufacturing process involves zero antibiotics and it's non-gmo and early research suggests that cultured meat requires 78 to 96 percent lower ghg emissions 99 percent lower land use and 82 to 96 percent lower water use than conventionally produced meat so I'm interested to know what the vegans and vegetarians of the world out there think. I'm also wondering what will happen to that kind of, I'm not even going to say it, but the documentary in quotation marks, Netflix, the Game Changers one, where they're talking about how all of this is ruining the world. I wonder what their thoughts are on this. But that is a very, very interesting topic to finish off with. So yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts out there. If you're a vegetarian, if you're a vegan, or even if you're just a meat eater and what your thoughts are on that. And if you want to go to their website, I'll put it in the show notes because it was actually a very, very well put together website. I was actually very, very impressed to be completely honest. And that is today's episode. And I don't know about you guys, but I learned a lot from these topics and it was really fun to do the research. So please let me know if you enjoyed it. And I'll absolutely do this again in the near future for you all. If you know anyone who would be interested in some of the topics or trends, specifically the culture of meat, I think we're all blown. <laughs> I think we're all mind blown by that. Please share the episode with them. And I'm sure you will have some interesting discussions. Thank you as always for listening, guys. Take care. And I'll look forward to speaking with you all very soon and that was the simply fit podcast i hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode i feel inspired to improve your health and well-being be sure to search for simply fit in apple podcasts google podcasts 
and Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.